Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. Jesus is talking to a crowd which is gathered around Him. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of God. And you can be seated. From Jesus' teaching to that crowd on that Galilean hillside, I'll preach this morning from the title, Living Peaceably with Creation. Living Peaceably with Creation. Here's something that I believe is true about every single one of us. Our experience of peace increases when we spend time in God's creation. I've mentioned this before, but most Tuesdays, my weekly day off, you'll find me walking slowly through Jackson Park for two or three hours. I cross Cornell Drive and walk behind the Museum of Science and Industry before coming to the Bobolink Meadow. And as I approach the meadow, because this has become habitual... I can feel my body relaxing. My breathing slows down, and I start noticing the sights and the sounds and the smells of the forest and the grassland. The worries that I've been carrying start to shrink. The crowds listening to Jesus in the Galilean countryside had plenty of worries of their own and occupied people. They lived under the constant threat of violence and coercion. The empire had taxed many of them into poverty. Spiritually speaking, they wondered regularly whether God would ever come to rescue them. Observing the wildflowers dotting the hills and the birds flying above their heads, Jesus told the crowd not to worry Because they held an honored place within God's creation. Now, I am very aware 
that not all of you share my enthusiasm for nature walks through Jackson Park. Every time I mention something like bird watching, I catch a few of you rolling your eyes. Don't think I haven't noticed. But even so, I stand by my belief. Our experience of peace increases when we spend time in God's creation. You see, creation includes more than the beaches of Lake Michigan, more than the paths through Washington Park, more than the trails at the Indiana National Lakeshore. We are each of us a part of God's creation. It may not be a quiet walk through a forest preserve that increases your peace. Maybe it's a meal prepared with fresh ingredients with close friends. Maybe it's turning off all of the screens in your home for a family game night. Maybe it's spending a Saturday morning at the Jackie Robinson Garden, weeding and planting and harvesting. God's created world comes in many different forms. During this Easter season, we are going to consider some of the implications of God's new creation which was inaugurated at Jesus' resurrection. We talked about that last Easter Sunday. This morning, we'll look at what happens as we live in harmony with God's creation, the creation which has been renewed in Christ. So here's my big idea for this message. Experiencing God's peace includes living peaceably with God's creation. Experiencing God's peace includes living peaceably with God's creation. Now, I'm using the word peaceably today instead of peacefully because peaceful can sound passive, whereas peaceable assumes our active participation. Living peaceably with creation requires our action, as we will see. As he was encouraging the crowd, Jesus twice told them to carefully consider specific aspects of God's creation. First, he said, look at the birds of the air. Now, the word for look could be translated gaze in the face. And then he says, uh, consider the lilies of the field. And the word for consider here could could be translated as examine. Gaze in the face. Examine. Jesus is not telling these anxious women and men to take a quick peek at creation or to occasionally and quickly remember their place within God's creation. Instead, we should hear Jesus inviting us, and I'm going to use this word intentionally, to meditate deeply on God's creation so that we can live harmoniously with God's creation. Experiencing God's peace means living peaceably with creation. So how do we do this? How do we live peaceably with creation 
in ways which lead to more peace in our own lives. Well, I want to suggest that in this passage we find at least three forms of prayerful meditation which help us live peaceably with God's creation. First, we live peaceably with creation by meditating on creation. Second, we live peaceably with creation by meditating on our interdependence with creation. And then finally, we live peaceably with creation by meditating on our creator. So first... We experience God's peace when we live peaceably with creation by meditating on creation. Now, my hunch is that when we think about meditating on creation, we we think of some sort of softly filtered, generic uh, a vision of creation, like one of those screensavers that pops up on your laptop of the, you know, the Grand Canyon, or, or maybe your workplace has some of those, uh, uh, <laughs> those generic inspirational posters with some silly little phrase attached, you know, from like a picture of the, I don't know, the ocean or something, or, or, or maybe you find yourself scrolling through somebody's Instagram travel pics. You're like, well, I want to go there and I want to see that. And that, that's my hunch is that when we think about meditating on creation, it's a, it's a bit detached from our actual experience. And so we need to recognize that, that Jesus is inviting the crowd to meditate on, on the stuff that's right around them. Right. Like 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 stuff that they knew, birds whose names they knew, flowers whose whose blooming they could predict. This was specific, actual stuff that they were being invited to consider, to examine, to gaze upon. Uh, Interestingly, this sort of meditation has been proven to be very good for you and for me. Researchers have found that that 20 minutes in nature improves your concentration. You might want to work that into these last three weeks of seminary there, Brandy. Uh, 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 20 minutes in in, in nature has been shown to reduce the need for ADHD and ADD medication in some cases. Time in nature improves cognitive function and memory. You are more likely to exercise regularly if you're not in a gym but out in nature. 30 minutes in nature improves heart health, circulation, and lowers your cholesterol. Just five minutes in nature has, has, has shown to improve your mood and your self-esteem. Regular exposure to nature reduces our anxiety and even can reduce experiences of depression. Now, the crowd, I, I think, is familiar with those benefits because they, they live much closer to nature than we do. They live much closer to the land than, than you and, and I do. Pope Francis writes this. He said, in God's loving plan, every creature has its own value and significance and can only be understood as a gift from the outstretched hand of the Father of all And as a reality illuminated by the love which calls us together into universal communion. I think the crowd understood a little bit about that universal communion that they were a part of. But but my hunch is that you and I don't know a lot about that, actually. 
that, that our contemporary life has separated us from that kind of experience with creation. Try this as an experiment. The next meal that you sit down to, like where you have a, a plate full of food, try to identify the origins of every piece of food on your plate. Try to, try to identify like what the vegetables were and, and what does the plant actually look like that that vegetable comes from and, and what are the meat products that are in there and what are, what are actually those strange preservatives that none of us can pronounce and where does that stuff actually come from? Try to identify physically where those things on your plate came from. What farm did they come from? What farmer raised that food for you? Now, we don't think about that kind of stuff, but... The people Jesus was talking to took all of that for granted. They knew where everything on their plate came from. We, we, our, our contemporary existence has separated us from that experience of what Pope Francis calls the universal communion of all of God's creation. And yet, meditating on creation is still available to all of us today. Just because we've been separated from it doesn't mean that we cannot choose to move closer to that conscious meditation on God's creation. Let me give you an example. Uh, Last summer, during the the height of the pandemic, we we had our our Jackie Robinson garden going. And uh, one of our members reached out to me who doesn't have a lot of gardening experience. And she said, man, this has been such a good experience for me. It's been so helpful and so powerful for me. And so I remembered that this week. And so I texted her. I said, can you remind me just what was what was good about that for you? And and, and so this woman said um, that it was the process of gardening that that was so important for her, that that she could see something small submerged in the dirt, she said, turning into something. She said, all of the the things that were grown at the Jackie Robinson garden looked a whole lot better when they were harvested than when they started out. She she started to preach to me in her her text messages. she, she She said, all of those seeds went through pain and struggle in the ground and yet still became what God calls them to be. And, and then she used the example of garlic. Uh, I didn't even know we grew garlic in, in the garden, but she knows something about garlic. And so, so she said, you know, greens, when we, when we plant greens, they're ready to be harvested in just a few months. But for garlic, she said, you, you got to plant the garlic in the ground in the fall. And then it has to overwinter in the, the hard and frozen and desolate ground only to begin to, 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 to burst up from the soil in the springtime and in the summer. And so so this, this woman is reflecting on why for her it was so important to garden, to get her hands dirty, to meditate on creation with her whole self. Are you with me? So let me ask you, how much of God's nature do you actually see? In order to see things, we have to be able to name them. And most of us can't name much of God's creation anymore. This makes us strange in the scope of human history. Most of our ancestors had a vocabulary for the trees and the animals and the the vegetables around them. We have almost none of that vocabulary anymore. And when we lose the ability to name something, we lose the ability to see it. And when we cannot see it, we cannot love it. 
So many of us, by virtue of not being able to name God's creation, are unable to love and meditate on God's creation. So can I give you like a really simple assignment this week? Just learn one new name this week. Learn the name of a tree that grows on your block. Learn the name of a bird that you've noticed flying around. Let me, t- let me just make it easy for you. There's cardinals. They're bright red. They have a loud song. I'm, a, I'm just giving that one to you, okay? And here's what happens. When you start to, to name something, you start to see it everywhere. You, 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 you name a cardinal, everywhere you go, you're going to see a cardinal. You start to learn what an oak tree looks like, you're going to start seeing oak trees everywhere you go. You know, the crazy thing is there's actually apps now for your phone where you can like take a picture of a leaf and your phone will tell you what kind of tree it is. (laughs) So we have no excuse this week not to learn the name of at least one new part of God's creation. Raise your hand if you'll learn the name of one new thing, one new thing, one new thing. Once you can name it, you'll see it. Once you can see it, you'll love it. You'll be able to meditate prayerfully on God's creation. Finding ways to regularly meditate on God's creation helps us live peaceably with creation and experience more of God's peace. Number two, we experience God's peace when we live peaceably with creation by meditating on our interdependence with creation. Can we say interdependence? Interdependence. This is an important one. Jesus and the crowd understood their relationship with the land that was all around them. Their lives were agricultural. They understood that they depended on the land that they could see. Jesus' parables, almost all of them, draw from that sense of connection and interdependency with the land. His parables talk about wildlife, about farming, about baking with the yeast that's in the air. Now, now some of us, we think about like, uh, well, there's, there's more rural people and they're more connected with land and we're urban people. So, of course, we're not going to be as we're not going to know as much. And, and I want to suggest that the actual difference is between those who understand their connection to creation and the rest of us. And my guess is my hunch is, is that most of us don't really understand our connection with God's creation. Jesus and the crowd, they understood where their food came from, where their water came from, where their shelter came from. In fact, this sense of interdependence was built into the Jewish law. It was part of their spiritual formation. Let me give you two examples, both from Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is God's law. You shall not see your neighbor's donkey or ox fallen on the road and ignore it. You shall help to lift it up. There's an interdependency with your neighbors as it relates to to their agricultural uh, responsibilities. Then here's another one. If you come on a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with fledglings, that's little birds, or on uh, uh, with fledglings or eggs with the mother sitting on the fledglings or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You didn't memorize this Bible verse when you were little, right? This was not, this was not like top 10. Let the mother go, taking only the young for yourself in order that it may go well with you and you may live long. God says, if you want to flourish, you are only going to take enough. You're never going to take more than enough. 
if you want to flourish, you are always going to have the long view of what's good for the animals under your care as well as for your own family. Because if you take the, the eggs and the fledglings and the mother bird, then that mother bird can't lay any more eggs. If you take all the fledglings, they can't grow up to lay more eggs. So built into the, into the very uh, sort of Jewish imagination that Jesus and the crowd knew very well was this assumption of interdependency with God's creation. The Catholic Catechism puts it this way. God wills the interdependence of creatures. Creatures exist only in dependence on each other to complete each other in the service of each other. In other words, to be creaturely, as we all are, nobody here is the creator, right? We are all creatures. To be creaturely is to be interdependent with the rest of God's creation. Now, now we, if we are paying attention at all, understand that we are surrounded, we are living through a litany of environmental crises right now. And I'm not going to take the time to rehearse all of those because you know them very well. You understand that we live in a very fraught moment in terms of how we as, as, as the people of God will, will take responsibility for those crises. But my hunch and my sense is that because there is so much when it comes to these environmental crises that we are tempted to just ignore all of it. You know, it feels overwhelming. And so we just don't even want to think about the ways that we are dependent on God's creation. Like, let me just go to the grocery store and get my food and not think about where it's coming from or what went into producing it because it's too much. Jesus invites us in a very different way. Jesus actually asks us to pay attention to our interdependency with all of creation. He invites the worried crowd to stop, to look around, to pay attention to their surroundings. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. There is a way in which some of our worry is related to our pride. You see, when, when, when we worry about what we're going to wear, how we're going to provide for us, for us there, there can be a sense that, that we are somehow capable of completely caring for ourselves. As though, though, though the responsibility to provide for ourselves rests solely with us. The result of this, of course, is that we never have enough. If I'm responsible to provide for all of my needs, then I can never have enough. So I always have to build bigger barns and open new bank accounts and, and diversify my portfolio. I don't know what that means. I don't have a... But you, 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 we have to have more. And of course, our marketers understand this very well. They capitalize on this tendency to worry and so we find ourselves always needing the latest thing. And then a year later, the latest thing. And a year later, the latest thing. When we know full well that each of those things will one day end up in a landfill somewhere. That if it's made out of plastic, it will literally never, ever biodegrade. 
end up in our oceans, in our waters, in our bodies. You and I are now each composed of uh, uh, particles of plastic because of this prideful worry that we need to have more and more and more. Meditating on our interdependence with God's creation shows us and reminds us that, that actually we can't provide for ourselves. <laughs> that the responsibility to completely care for ourselves is not ours. Meditating on our interdependence with creation engenders a kind of humility in us. We are dependent on the rain. We are dependent on somebody growing crops somewhere in this country that will make their ways to our table at some point. I know some of you don't want to hear this, but we're dependent on all four seasons in Chicago. You actually need the winter. We would all be in a lot of trouble if winter went away. I know that's the hardest thing I'm going to preach to some of you today. And we are dependent on other people as well. Other parts of God's creation. In the book of Job, most of the book is Job and his friends going back and forth trying to understand why is it that Job has gone through such an incredibly hard time in life. And, and God just sits back and lets them talk until they wear themselves out. And then God goes, okay, you, you done? And, and God says something like this. He says, have you, Job, commanded the morning since your days began? And cause the dawn to know its place? It's a rhetorical question. (laughs) Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? And it goes on like that for two chapters. And at the end of that, all Job can muster is this. See, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand. Over my mouth. When we see our interdependence with creation, we cannot help but be humble. And this humility leads to peace. Because now I don't have to keep having more. I don't have to keep getting more stuff. I don't have to believe that it's all on me to provide for me. You see, the starting point shifts from a place of scarcity to one of divine abundance. So your first assignment this week is to learn the name of something. Here's your second assignment. Many of us pray before we we eat our meals. I hope you understand actually how important that is how deeply Christian it is to pause for a moment and to say a blessing of thanksgiving over your food. It's probably one of the last ways that most of us actually have a chance to remember our interdependency with God's creation. So let me invite you to extend that prayerful posture this week. In the same way you pray before a meal, choose some other way that you benefit from God's creation and then pray before you receive that. When you go to the gas station to fill up your car, that gas is coming from God's creation. Stop for a second and say a prayer of thanksgiving over the fuel that can go into your car. 
uh, when you pour yourself a, a, a clean glass of, of water this week, pause for a moment and say a prayer of thanksgiving that you have access to fresh and clean water. Because so many people don't. When it starts to rain this afternoon, don't complain about it. Don't talk about how it's ruining your plans. When it gets real cold on Tuesday night, it's supposed to get below freezing. I checked this morning. Do not whine about it. I say that out loud. Y'all going to have to hold me accountable too. But I'm serious about this. Pause. Thank God for the rain. Thank God that the water table is filling up. Thank God that the farmer's crops are going to have more moisture on their fields. When it gets below freezing, thank God for that spring freeze. Because many of the plants that we depend on need that freeze in order for their seeds to germinate. Without it, the crops aren't going to grow as well. So in the same way that you pray a blessing over your meal... Find one or two other things this week where you, it could be five seconds and you just say a prayer of thanksgiving and blessing over your interdependency with God's creation. By meditating on the interrelatedness of creation, we will live more peaceably with creation and experience more of God's peace. Here's the last one. We experience God's peace when we live peaceably with creation by meditating on our creator. I wonder if we were to take a poll of our, our different images of God, what we would identify. For some of us, God is mostly Lord or Savior. For others, God is Redeemer, Provider, Defender, Judge. And God is all of these things. But last week on Easter Sunday, we recognized that, that Jesus is also the Creator of all things. And that because Jesus is the creator through his life and death and resurrection, he can bring new creation into our world. Psalm 24 and 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. Everything in the universe belongs to God. Everything in the universe belongs to God. Now, I think that leads to at least two different responses. One is it brings me some peace. When I remember that I belong to God, I experience some peace. That my family belongs to God. That my bank account belongs to God. There's some peace that comes along with that. But the other thing I feel when I remember that everything belongs to God is some responsibility. Because this means that the West Virginian mountaintop that is right now being blown away for coal, for our electricity, belongs to God. This means that the the mountains in the Pacific Northwest that are being clear cut so that we have paper products, that those mountaintops belong to God. That the southern waters of Lake Michigan, just a few miles from where we are sitting, which are right now absorbing the toxic waste from the refineries which produce our fuels, that those waters belong to God as well. So there is some peace and there is some responsibility from meditating on our Creator. Let let me ask this. Does the fact that Jesus is the Creator matter to you? Like, I know that it matters to you that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior. 
Does it matter to us that Jesus is the creator? Let me ask it this way. If Jesus were your divine Lord and Savior, but not the creator, would anything change in the way you live your faith? And my hunch is that for most of us, the answer is no. That we are good enough with Jesus being Lord and Savior. And that theoretically, it's pretty cool that he's creator too. It doesn't actually make much of a difference in how we live. And if I'm right, if that's the case for most of us, myself included, then it's a glimpse at just how far we are from God's desires for us. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23, God tells his people, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity. For the land is mine. With me, you are but aliens and tenants. Now, that's, that, 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 that's, some, that's some Marxism kind of stuff <laughs> in this country. In a, in, a, in a country whose origins uh, uh, were premised on a, on a people coming and saying these lands are empty. They are ours for the taking. We can subdivide them and sell them off to the highest bidder who can then pass them down generation after generation after generation. God says the land is mine and don't nobody get to own it forever. You see, belief in God as creator had very real implications for the people of God. Does it for us? Does it for us? It impacted their very uh, uh, imagination of their economy and private property. Does it matter to us that Jesus is the creator of all things? The good news is that Jesus reveals a creator who cares deeply for his creation. About the birds, Jesus says, your heavenly father feeds them. (laughs) And about the flowers, Jesus said, God so clothes the grasses of the field. You and I can be prone to a kind of theological deism, which is to say a view of God as a one-time creator who then backs away from his creation and just watches it go. And with this, with this imagination, you and I, we toil and we scheme and we work to provide for ourselves. And then when we remember that we can't, our prayers get real desperate. And we pray to a God who is a long ways away and mostly uninterested in the real stuff of our lives to intervene to rescue us. But Jesus gives us a different vision of God. Jesus says God feeds and God clothes. This God is actively involved with God's creation, present in the incarnation of Jesus to his creation. It's my understanding that the birds and the grass are not asking God to feed and to clothe them. That God is just proactively intervening on their behalf. This is why meditating on our creator God is so powerful. It pulls us from the exhausting treadmill of self-sufficiency and places us rightly and restful before our creator God, who is even now intervening for your good. My creator feeds me. My creator clothes me. He shelters and defends me. 
Your creator finds you and heals you and protects you. Your creator answers you and relieves you and fills you and hears you and leads you and surrounds you and vindicates you and guides you and restores you and hides you and prospers you and watches over you and delivers you and blesses you. Your God does not stand a long ways off, occasionally intervening when things get desperate enough. God is actively and presently engaged in your life. Whatever God's creatures needs, God the creator provides. So Jesus says, therefore, do not worry. Saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? It's the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly father knows that you need All these things. Your your, your first assignment was to name something new. Your second assignment was to pray a prayer of thanksgiving over something new. Your third assignment this week is when you pray, to pray to your creator God. I've learned this from some indigenous friends who just address God as creator, capital C. Many of us begin our prayers, you know, dear Lord Jesus or our Heavenly Father. You, you, you may have your own ways of beginning your prayers. Would you begin your prayer this week by simply addressing Creator God? By simply remembering that God is the Creator of all things. And that we as His beloved creatures can come before Him confidently because God is proactively acting on our behalf. Creator God. Creator God. When we meditate on God as creator, we will live more peaceably with creation and experience more of God's peace. Let me wrap up. Our contemporary society has convinced us that we can experience peace without living peaceably with God's creation. There can be no true harmony with God as long as we are living out of tune with God's creation. We will never experience the fullness of God's peace when we live out of tune with God's creation. The really good news is that God's creation is everywhere. Like, you don't have to go on a pilgrimage. You don't have to go into some national park somewhere. You're sitting next to God's creation right now. God's creation is everywhere. When you walk out of this building, you'll be surrounded by God's creation. Despite our best efforts to pave over prairies, to restrict wildlife to zoos, to mitigate friendships via social media, God's creation is still all around us. And Jesus, like he does with that crowd, invites us to slow down, to pause our worries, and to meditate. To meditate on creation, our interdependency with creation, and on the creator who cares for all of our needs. We we wanted to give you uh, a kind of an easy first step this week to this sort of prayerful meditation. A simple way to know more of God's peace by living peaceably with creation. So, thank you to Amy. Thank you to Amy 
we have, uh, you don't even know what you're clapping for. That's great. That's how much they trust you, Amy. Thank you to Amy. We are taking an extra offering today where we'll all give 50%. No, I'm just kidding. That's not us. See, that's why you don't clap prematurely. You don't know what you don't know. It could be, you know. Jer's up for that offering. Um, We have uh, biodegradable uh, trash bags with uh, the verse from Psalm 24.1 stapled onto them, taped onto them. The earth is the Lord and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. Okay, so. Uh, lots of you have picked up trash before in your neighborhoods or in your community. Uh, maybe you even did it for Earth Day this week. Awesome. Good for you. Uh, I want to ask us to do something different this week. I want to invite you to an experience of prayerful meditation in the coming week. Uh, set aside 20 or 30 minutes to take uh, a, this trash bag. And to head out into your neighborhood to pick up some litter, some trash. Um, and if you don't have any litter or trash in your neighborhood, <laughs> you're lying. <laughs> you don't live in Chicago. But if you want to go somewhere else, that's fine. If there's a park, wherever you want to go, that's totally fine. But then as you're picking up trash, what I want you to do is to choose one of these three prayerful meditations. Meditate on God's creation. Notice what is around you. What is it that you have missed before? Notice what's coming into bloom this time of year. Or meditate on your interdependence with God's creation. How your life would be different without the presence of nature on your block. How much you and I need the waters of Lake Michigan for our daily survival. How the trees in our city make the the air in our city much cleaner than it would be otherwise. Or meditate on the creator as you pick up some trash. Meditate prayerfully on how God is even right now actively meeting your needs. About how all of the land that you can see belongs to God. Maybe confess as you're picking up trash that you are unable, that you are not capable of meeting your needs on your own. And let your heart rejoice in the God who meets all of those needs. As you prayerfully meditate while picking up trash, pay attention to your experience of God's peace. I don't think this will work if you're in a big hurry. Or if you turn this invitation into a religious obligation. (laughs) But if you can set aside some time this week to be fully present to this active and prayerful meditation, I genuinely believe that you'll experience at least a taste of the peace that God desires for us as we live peaceably with God's creation. Amen? So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to sing another song here in a minute. Um, but these bags are going to be available. The hospitality team is going to be by the door. And uh, to each you know, family or if you're in like a friendship group or if you, you know, want your own, that's great as well. Make sure everybody who wants one of these uh, gets one of these. If you know right now you're not going to do this, just leave it. It's okay. No one's going to judge you. But I, I, I'm going to encourage you to, to try it out this week. 
Um, this is one of those things that can feel very ethereal, can feel very out there, living in harmony with God's creation. Uh, so maybe this can be a, a tangible practice for us to live into together. Amen? So God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you for... Uh, placing us within uh, this universal communion of the rest of your creation. We thank you that our Lord Jesus uh, did not come just to save a few individuals, but came to bring new creation into the universe. Um, Make us glad and joyful in this fact today. Help us to live peaceably, Lord, with with your creation. Help us to see some of these practical ways of living in harmony with your creation and and then to actually experience the peace that you promise us. That the worries and the cares and the anxieties of this world would start to fade. And that as they do, we would more and more find our place before the God who cares for all of our needs. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, so Brandy and Zach will lead us in this last song. And and, and as they do, a couple of reminders.